Greetings Grapple fans and welcome back to Match of the Week, a show where we look at the veritable smorgasbord that professional wrestling has to offer and we take a sample, like you would at a deli counter. Some weeks it's a lovely cheese from the Italian hills, sometimes it's Spanish ham. This week it's definitely something that I would call a manager special, it's something a little bit unusual that we're going to be discussing this week, but... To set the table, of course. Long-time listeners are hearing a slightly different introduction voice because my name is Simon Cross and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lorcan Mullen. How are you, Lorcan? Well, yeah, this is Lorcan Mullen. I will say, Simon, that as far as uh, whatever's on offer in this match, there does seem to be a lot of ham on display. Hey, hey, hey. So, where are we, Lorcan, and what are we watching? (laughs) We are watching... A match taking place for the Leicester-based wrestling resurgence. It's taking place in the Y Theatre. I assume it's called that because when everyone suggests going to that in Leicester, the locals will say, Y Theatre? And it is a match between tag team partners and current resurgence tag team champions, Charles Crowley and Clementine, members of a team that's called BDSM. Simon can explain in a minute what the BDSM stands for. Yes, yes, yes. And the stipulation to this match is that if Clementine wins, she is allowed to retire. If Crowley wins, then she cannot retire and they continue as a tag team. So I leave the ball in your court, Simon, to try and explain more about the background to this. Why on earth you chose it and what this match means to you, given that you had seen it already. And we're so desperate to talk about it. This is like the wrestling podcast equivalent of listening to someone explaining their dream, insofar as the level of interest <laughs> someone else might have. Ah. Oh. Yeah, so Lorcan's quite right. One of the reasons I've selected this match is because it's something I've seen live. Another reason is because I, I've seen the trope of, oh, if I, you know, career, like the Ric Flair career threatening, next time you lose, you're gone. Like, I've seen the retirement match. And it's like, oh, you know, the time honoured, we'll, we'll shake hands and do one last, like, showcase. But this is very much like someone... Coming to terms with the fact that they're like their life's changing and having as a result to try and cling on to their partner and cling on to the world that they know and leading to this this very weird if the loser wins they get to leave kind of scenario it's it's a very like twisted version of what I'm used to it's like if the loser leaves they're fired kind of thing or lose leaves town matches that like you know the seventies and the eighties had in terms of what. BDSM stands for, it is covered by the ring announcer, Big Dangerous Scary Mammals. Wrestling Resurgence is a very um, LGBTQ-like friendly space, so there's a lot of innuendo and inference as a result. And it's one of the reasons this match is an intergender match, because this promotion does allow intergender wrestling, and this was one of, I think, at least three intergender matches I saw on the card. Yeah, because I texted you early on, because I remember you saying that it was the main event, but then when I put it on, it was starting with an intergender match where there was some sort of champion involved. So I was wondering if I was watching the right one. And I did watch a couple of YouTube videos after this of the tag team. They do like little vignettes or something. The implication seems to be they're in some sort of relationship. I don't even know if it's maybe like 
And the, yeah. There's illusions. Like, well, like I said to you when they came out, they both look like they they might be into LARPing. And I suppose that is kind of true. <laughs> but I, it was also seemed more Alice in Wonderland themed or something rather than like, so that's, so it's not steampunk. No. But they're obviously in some sort of codependent relationship. Yeah. But maybe not even a sexual one. Like, it might even be asexual or something. But it was hard to wrap my head around it. And I think yeah, one of my issues with that was... I know because I got mad about people being so angry about El Hico Del Vikingo being introduced with no big build-up. So I'm not going to turn into one of those and saying I need to know all the ins and outs of this story in order to get it. Yeah. But it took a while to understand, and I was like, they could have done a better explanation. Even if just on a WWE show in particular, but AEW as well. If there is stuff that's built up to it, they would very often show you a clip from the previous thing. Yeah. Or even like a music video, like an intro, like you got so many great ones in progress. Like there were some missing pieces to the jigsaw for people. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't sew that content in for the recording to be brutally honest i didn't know as much of the story really going in live i've done i've done a bit of a simon cross classic in the let me tell you something universe I, i've started with the end of the story and, and like yes focused on the end if you must watch one match to get you into new japan it's the match that was the culmination of the 10 year storyline of new japan I just like poking you with that stick now. I've lent into it. If you want to get into Game of Thrones, watch the episode at the end of Game of Thrones. No, do the exact opposite. Uh, No, that's too far. That's too far. Don't say things you can't take back. That's too far. If you want to get into Star Wars, you really need to watch Rise of Skywalker first. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. All right. Tad excessive, but but we move, we move. I've just got the Mel Gibson Simpsons episode. This film is worse than Godfather 3. Whoa, let's not say things we can't take back. That is bullshit. Godfather 3 is a good movie. I was mad at that joke then, and I'm still <laughs> mad at it now. Especially since Coppola released a re-edit of it that actually improved it, but it was already a good movie. Just not as good as two of the greatest movies of all time. And yes, Sofia Coppola was poorly cast. It bees what it bees sometimes. Like, that's the thing. In terms of the story that I know, I heard fans who are who go to the shows talk about it before and like, oh, who's going to win? And they're like, oh, we well, you know it's is it t- it you know it's time for her to go kind of thing. So I had like a, a smidgen of context, but it's more really th- how they tell the story in this match. And it, for, for someone who didn't have that smidgen of context, I will accept it takes a bit longer. But it's just interesting the whole <sighs> reluctant to like hurt someone. And typically, when, like, men and women are put together, sometimes it's like, oh, well, I can't hit you, you're a woman. But the gender's nothing to do with it in this story. And it's weird that that's being told in an intergender match. So it's that it's that juxtaposition of... It's usually, like, sacred grounds that women and men can't, like, hit each other. That's why in WWE, when uh, Baron Corbin hit Becky Lynch at the end of days, it got such a big pop in that weird mixed tag match that they had like it, it, you know it means something whereas this because there are no barriers like a cultural norm that's been like implanted into my head is like gone but the match is being wrestled in a similar way but for different reasons because he doesn't want to hurt his friend what percentage of that live audience do you think was resurgence regulars that knew what this was all building up to 
quite a high percentage. They always sell out. You have to buy the tickets a couple of weeks in advance. You can't just like rock up on the door. They're, they're usually gone. The Y Theatre is not the biggest venue in the world. It's uh, one of the smallest theatres in the Leicester city centre. And that is saying something, people. They used to do, a, do the Richard Attenborough Arts Centre, but I think the Y Theatre is... I, I don't know why they moved to the Y Theatre. But yeah, they've got a hardcore loyal fan base. They're quarterly shows, so they don't overexpose their stories. And a lot of it is what the wrestlers put on their Twitter feed sometimes to tell the story as well. So these can be shows of deep lore. Yeah, but the wrestlers can tell their own sort of like vignettes kind of thing. They have a little bit of... There's a lot of creative freedom, I guess, to tell like how they tell their story. Yeah, I do think it could be better communicated, if nothing else, than from the commentators who don't really ever try to give a context to anything or say what this is the culmination of in the match itself. Like like I said, when Michael Cole or JR or anyone is recapping or in AEW, very often Excalibur will take a moment in it to say, oh, that's significant because of this in a previous match or the reason that we're here, what got us to this point. Yeah. And I just think it's those things that could help. Because I, I couldn't tell at one point, like, was she trying to leave because it was an abusive... Because that's what I kind of expected it to be. That it was going to be that it was an abusive relationship somewhat. And that he was trying to keep her locked in. And, like, when they did the, the handshake bit at the start, I kept expecting him to suddenly give her a full welly kick in the face or in the chest or something mm. to establish the heel-face dynamics. And I get that they're trying to subvert it. They're trying to do something different. They're trying to do a variant, I suppose, of the I'm sorry, I love you story between Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, but stretch it out over an entire match. Yeah. But through a combination of not fully getting the sense of the story, taking ages to understand the dynamics, and frankly, some really badly worked moves. Mm. It really took a lot for me to get anyway engaged in the match there were some bits in this that were kind of embarrassing when they were running the ropes and it weirdly happens a lot with tag team partners that they're so used to working together them suddenly having to work in conflict with one another it even happened to the hardy boys yeah the one bad spot in the whole of the 2001 royal rumble which otherwise is probably like up there in my top five royal rumbles the one bit that's kind of awkward is when it's Jeff and Matt have a little match with each other. Well, Jeff and Matt had a terrible match at... I can't remember which WrestleMania, but it was god-awful. Yeah, and the Goldust Stardust match, it can happen to the best of them. But unfortunately, these two aren't quite the best of them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Goldust Stardust one, they also did get a five-star match. <laughs> like, albeit in different characters, but the same two wrestlers. So, I, I, I don't know. That one's... But like the Dudley boys, if they, whenever they face each other, I can't remember a single memorable one. You had that James Storm, Chris Harris blindfold match where I suppose things were out of their hand as well with how badly that went. Yeah, like the blindfold cage match, yeah. Tag partners, it's rare for like, like established tag partners to do that. I think even when APA split up, I, I, I can't remember a Bradshaw Farouk match being any good. They literally didn't feud because Farouk just left the promotion and JBL came into existence like a week later. Ah, that'll be why. Oh, yes. Basically, like, took JBL to, like, the hairdressers because they were so desperate for, uh, for heels, basically. No, he'd had that blonde hair look for, like, a year before then. Mm. I think it was just Farouk was ready to retire. and I think they just had it that he got fired or something. Ah, okay. I, I know what you mean. And in terms of, like, the match quality, I mean, we, are, we aren't we are looking at, like... 
the apex of like professional wrestling at all but it's just the ultimate example of like when you talk about wrestling as performance and it's just this is something where you got to go full bore emotion and they kind of get there with the powerbomb spot but i do have something to say about that as well but just whenever they're doing like she's trying to do a strike exchange with him and it's just everything is clearly a slightly pulled wrestling forearm when they're even making contact with each other. And, like, the big scary injury angle is the most pathetically executed falling out of the ring. And not even falling, like, because of the way the stage is set up. She's not even falling onto... Like, they try to make out it's like she caught it on the edge of the stage or something. And it just doesn't work. And, again, because the other thing that threw me was how quiet the crowd was the whole... Pretty much the whole time. Again, because I don't think... Yeah. There's no clear who do you cheer... Who do you boo? It's like this is a match that no one wants to be happening, including the people in the crowd that are involved and invested in the storyline. So therefore, you can't get that kind of reaction. So it always seems kind of cold. I put it down as it's like being Joey, Phoebe, um, Monica and Chandler when they were locked in the bedroom whilst Ross and Rach were having their big fights. (laughs) But they're not exchanging witty banter or playing Mad Libs. They're just sort of sitting there awkwardly. Yeah, it was an awkward, uneasy feeling like watching it live. There is one guy, and I, I know I listened out for him, and they, I, they did mute him on purpose. Was it that? Was it because I was thinking this joke as well? Was it when she said, uh, "Turn around"? She was yelling, "Turn around," and I just started singing. She said it a couple of times, and I just started mumbling to myself. Every now and then I get a little bit tired, and you're never coming around. Because I could have sworn I heard someone. Do that at the same moment I did that to myself. Well, maybe that's just my hearing's getting bad. No, no, it's not that. It during the power bomb spot. I think after he's hit like the last one, someone from the crowd just gone. You've beaten her to a pulp, and then there's this audible groan of like, oh. Well, at least he didn't go stop. She's already dead. Yeah, yeah. The power bomb spot when I saw that live, I'm like, okay, I get that intergender wrestling. You know, you have to play up that, especially in this case because Charles looks quite big and Clementine. Um, it is like, you know, she's athletic, but she's not like a giant woman. So there is that, like, visual. They've got a good look. Like, I was thinking, like, if I was running a British wrestling promotion, yeah, uh, those would be two guys just based on a look that I'd be like, if they can go in the ring, mm. and I didn't see a great deal of evidence in this match, but again, it's like an awkward one. They'd be an act I'd be more than happy to sign up yeah. and think that they look like a, they project a certain amount of professionalism and the look and, like, if they got the right breaks and were in the right place, they could get seen by bigger companies. Charles does work for a lot of other promotions as well. So he is in and about the UK independent scene. Clementine doesn't have a cage match profile, but she's now retired. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I've, she's not on the card for either the upcoming one or the show in between when I saw this. And now. But I like her look. I like her, her general demeanor in that. And like, was it a she's so sexy chant or something? I couldn't tell. Zesty. Zesty. Yeah, because Clementine, citrus fruit, fruit, zest. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, she, she's both, I would say. <laughs> uh, I like the curly hair. I think it's a good look. Yeah. I get why they did the injury like angle, because they wanted to put an element of doubt in. But... You're right. It didn't come across across like an injury angle. It, it came across of, oh, she's actually done something because of how like awkward it looked. 
they did it the work shoot style as well, where the ref does the X sign. Yeah. Do people even really do that? Like, the only reason they did that is because people now know that that's what you do when someone's legit injured. Yeah. Well, they had the, param- the on-site, like, paramedic there. And then the leg injury is just not even present in the second half of the match. I get what they were going for, but to me, this was like a, trying to do the large-scale story like a great wrestling main event, but you don't have place and yet the ability yet... And the presentation to make it work, you know, it's like it's like trying to make some big sci-fi epic, and you've got a budget that you should be using for a little low-level indie film. Yeah, and you're trying to make Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, you're lucky that you're appealing to your loyal base, obviously, because if it was like a lot of people that hadn't followed the story, there wouldn't be that connection to it. But you could tell that story in Ring. Everyone gets it of a relationship that's gone so, and that's why. Yeah. I feel like they should have played up more. They should have just had him turn heel in that match and just done it in that match because... And then you could have him come to terms with it and sort of then sort of start to turn face at the end of the match where he just sort of stands there waiting for her to hit him with the move and not even kick out. Because if she can kick out of nine power bombs, I feel like he should be able to kick out of a crossbody. Yeah, it, it, it's more... He's. It's definitely a, I've dropped my hands because I've, I've realised if I'm holding on to you, then... You're not going to be happy about it. Yeah. He could have... He easily could have kicked out. If you want to build sympathy for her plight, you can't really make him as equally sympathetic, really, in his story. Mm. You know, he has to be selfish and not get it at first. Yeah. And then become a good partner, in some sense of the word or whatever. Yeah. I mean, did you... Were you feeling emotionally affected by it when you were seeing it live, or did you feel... Slightly awkward. Did you think, like, maybe on rewatch this, will I'll appreciate this more, or what? What made you pick this match that you saw? Honestly, a little bit of both. Like, I, I did feel sorry for him. I think his facial expressions are very good in terms of conveying like the anguish that he's feeling. Uh, one of the reasons I picked this, obviously, is because it's an intergender match, and we've not discussed one yet as well. And I thought, what, what better than? The one I saw live because, and then you have already alluded that you really want to talk about the power bomb spot. But when I watched her get power bomb nine times live, I'm like, mm. then she kicks out, albeit very limply. And I'm like, oh, right. Okay. Bit odd. Like, where, where does it go from here? You know, because the other ones I'd seen a lot of like speed versus strength kind of thing where they use their quickness to evade the male. The, the match that you thought I was talking about was for the uh, Wrestling Resurgence Championship between Riho and I can't remember their champion's name at the minute. But he's like, he's very Tory dressed. And that was like the guy using his power, she using her quickness and her like will. You do the David versus Goliath story. Yeah. Whenever he's outsped by her or like, you know, he's, he's he can't keep up with her speed wise, he cheats to like bring her down to earth and then uses his power in like a heel bully way. Whereas this one, I guess because they're tag team partners, maybe they could have done it where they countered each other's stuff more. There wasn't really a lot of countering. Well, yeah, because that was one of the few times I remember a spot from the world of sport wrestling that I thought was really well done. Again, it's the buzzer battle, which is like, maybe we should do that as a match of the week, like as a 10 years on, looking back at that fiasco. (laughs) Although it's five years, actually. I know that was 2018 because I've been getting reminders, so maybe we should do that in a few months' time. It will be the fifth anniversary of World of Sports. Seems only fitting. Yeah, and it was this whole random design, although weirdly, conveniently, nearly always the heels on one side and the face on the other. But the one face tag team 
were both in at the same time. So one had to join the heel side and one was with the face side. And then when they did get in the ring with each other, they just blocked and countered literally everything. And the idea was that they were at an impasse. Yeah. Because they knew each other better than they knew themselves almost. So, yeah, you could have played up to that. But they just did just sort of your standard indie wrestling running the rope spots. And they lost their head. They lost, there was a miscommunication, a mistiming. Also doesn't help because you're always dealing with those small rings as well. So you probably have to have a quicker reaction time anyway. Because people are coming at you quicker. Yeah. Bloody hell. I mean, we just came from that. That was one of the things I forgot to say in the Billy Graham Dusty Rhodes match. Because of the way that they shot the ring from a higher angle than usual, it looks even bigger than it usually was, those WWF rings from there. Like, this this ring might have been half that size. And again, that didn't help with some of the things they were trying to do. Yeah. Well, they have to have a fairly small ring because they're doing wrestling in a theatre space and it's not a big yeah, theatre yeah, yeah. space. So obviously but that's the tradition what it's of, built to yeah, look the tradition towards. Of, yeah, and the tradition of British wrestling has always been smaller rings for the most part anyway. Yeah. Again, if I started a promotion, I would probably want a larger than usual ring, but not like WWF 20 by 20. But if I could get an 18 by 18, I probably would try and get that. But maybe they just don't produce that many in this country, and so you work with what you got. Well, this is it, yeah. Yeah, to the powerbomb thing, my complaint with that wasn't really the excessiveness of it. Because, you know, I knew this was going to be one of those epic matches of epic, 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 epicness. So I wasn't surprised when you kicked out of it. It was dumb, but it's not the worst thing I've seen get kicked out of in recent weeks and months. Mm-hmm. And again, I just don't want to be old man yells at cloud. The thing that bothers me is the repeat powerbomb spot itself. I remember first seeing it with Chris Jericho. I know that Tatsuhito Takaiwa used to do it in New Japan, and that might have been where Chris Jericho got it from. And then I remember Brock Lesnar doing it to Spike Dudley when he made his debut on WWF Raw, the Raw after WrestleMania 18. And what has always bothered me with that move... And it's obvious in this match, and it was even obvious in the Spike Dudley Brock Lesnar spots. Is it's one of those moves where you see the cooperation with the opponents Mm. because the opponent will do the bump that you always do when you get hit with anything, and you're taking a flat back bump where you slap your arms and hands against the mat at the same time to try and distribute the bump as far as possible in your body and make it sound loud as well. Yeah, but also you're always loosened. And when someone's powerbombed you down, it's also changed the position of where their body is in relation to you when you're doing the move. So to then pick them back up, you've essentially got to deadweight them. And they're also in an awkward position because they won't be back up in the powerbomb position they were before. Mm. And so you saw it when Chris Jericho did it. You saw Spike Dudley do it to Brock Lesnar. And you see Clementine do it with Charles Crowley. They then put their hands on their still clasped hands of the powerbomb. Yeah. In order to hook themselves up those extra few inches they need to be in order to be back in the original powerbomb set. To make themselves live weight, not dead weight. Yep, to make themselves lightweight as well. And also to be not awkwardly positioned that if you pull them back up, then you're kind of sort of in the position. I wonder if this was how Hardcore Holly got his neck broken by Brock Lesnar because you are sort of in that awkward place where, again, you've got to be deadlifted up with the legs aren't on the shoulders in the same part, like the thighs and the 
sort of the pelvis isn't close up to your collarbone and everything. Yeah. I guess, again, because he's doing a repeat power, I mean, it's not just one or two. He's doing it nine times. I'm seeing her do that move every time that the camera's on their front. So, again, it's just, it was a spot I'd always, like, again, it's one of those things that, like, if I was recommending moves to a wrestler, I would say, don't do that version of a double powerbomb. Maybe you can do a tag team variant of it where the other guy pulls them back up as well yeah but unless you can literally deadweight them and the reason that's supposed to be an impressive looking move is looking at you deadweight if you can't deadweight them then don't even do the move and you would again you would have thought with the size difference he probably should be strong enough that he could have deadweighted her that it would have been all right probably not to do it nine times yeah uh it's better it's always better with things like that to err on the side of caution though oh yeah i'm not having to go with them for doing it for safety reasons but if you can't do it in a safe way that also doesn't break the illusion as badly as it does, then just don't do it. And again, if you can't do a really dangerous spot, you, you don't have the faith in yourself to do a dangerous looking spot that you know you should be safe from, to do an injury angle, don't do that either. Mm. You could you should do it more shoot style because it's a crazy thing, all these big flying moves that, you know, Park and Rob Van Dam have done over their careers, and the ones that broke their leg was a baseball slide. Yep. You can do it that way, and it's classic. The way everyone usually does it when they try to do it that way natural is landing awkwardly off of a leapfrog or something. And wasn't Rusev around... I don't know if he jumped off the apron, but when he was barefoot and injured himself, that was something fairly innocuous, wasn't it? Yeah. I know I'm being overly nitpicky, but it's just... That was more just a spot in general that I didn't like, and this is the one that I'll use as an example. Because what we're discussing. Yeah, because of what we're discussing, it just fits in with what I was... I always wanted to talk about that double powerbomb move for ages, and it's just finding the right place to say it. <laughs> it doesn't annoy me as much as the Canadian Destroyer, put it well, that way. Well, I was going to say, there's a move where illusions are shattered in terms of cooperation. Exactly. There, there you go. They reached beyond their grasp, I think, in this. Mm. And there were better ways that they could have been helped with the presentation by the promotion itself as well. Yeah. It's a noble failure, that's what I'll say, to me. But the crowd were responding, and she got a nice send-off, and I'm sure it meant something to them. And I, I appreciate trying to do something different, but the problem with doing different stuff is sometimes people just don't go along with it. And it just felt awkward for the most part, both in ring and the audience. Yeah. Especially a fella in the high-vis jacket with the red hat. <laughs> on the front row. So, little peek behind the curtain, listeners. That is something Lorcan messaged me about, and I am astounded that we've got this deep in before he bore him up, to be honest. <laughs> is he either like the hat guy of Resurgence Wrestling? I don't know if he's a regular... But it wouldn't surprise me if he is. He is a regular, if that makes sense. You could tell his face. He really did not seem engaged in any of it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's tough in those sort of environments, in a smaller crowd, to get them excited. If you don't all go along with it, then no one wants to go along with it. Yeah. So I remember seeing Austin Powers' Gold Member at the cinema, which is a funny film. But I always think, with, and I think it's the same through my years of observing stand-up comedy, the sort of the loudness of the first couple of laughs is like a barometer of how loudly people feel they can laugh. Like, if you're watching a sitcom on your own, Mm. there's a decent chance you're not going to laugh as loud as you would if you were watching... If you're watching Bottom Live... Well, Bottom's probably a bad example because that's so... uh, Rick Mayle was so elemental and instinctive in his comedy that you couldn't help but laugh. But if it's something like Frasier, you won't necessarily laugh out loud. I mean... Yeah. There's nothing that drives me more crazy than than watching something like a Shakespearean comedy... Or any kind of theatre comedy for the most part. And people laughing loudly. Not because they think that that joke's particularly funny. 
but because they want everyone around them to know that they got the clever joke. Oh, I know the people you mean. Oh, yeah. Shakespeare audiences is particularly infuriating. Mm. You don't get those sort of tosses at wrestling shows. <laughs> you get an entirely different breed of tosser. Uh, well, yeah. Well, they are marks. Those people who do that, the, the, the raucous laughter. But they're, they're more marks for themselves, I guess, than theatre. And if they go into the theatre, they're money marks. So they're very highly sought after. It is weird when you go to the theatre or any kind of theatrical thing, you realise there's an entirely different breed of people out there that I don't usually interact with. Mm. We don't usually go to the same live things. We don't eat at the same restaurants. We don't live on the same streets and we don't shop in the same shopping centres. And I'm glad to keep a distance from most of them. Yeah. But it's nice to see independent wrestling and looking around the Leicester area. It's nice to see good independent wrestling even more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, looking around... But you take what you can get in Leicester. (laughs) I was about to say, in terms of Leicester, this is the largest independent company to my knowledge. There are a couple of wrestling schools and I think they feed into other promotions and they hold their own shows. But in terms of advertising and and merchandise and and getting the Y Theatre as a venue, a city centre venue, this is the only company that operates in Leicester city centre itself. (laughs) They've got this territory, this is their area. Yeah. There used to be Leicester City Wrestling, but I've not seen them in a long, long time. I've been to one of their shows, and that was a tale of two halves, because they had a lot of like homegrown talent in the first half. And by intermission, me and my friends were like, mm, I don't really know why we're here. The second half was people like the late Ryan Smile, uh, and people like that, of that level. So... It got amped up. The quality took a sharp incline. With Leicester City Wrestling, did they just suddenly have this one shocking year where they were the best wrestling in the world? (laughs) And then it all sort of started to fall apart very quickly afterwards. And then they rallied! And then it was a huge drop-off recently. Um, Maybe. They had people like Rampage, who was on World of Sport, wasn't he? I think like that. I think a combination of World of Sport, NXT UK, and COVID, like, killed it all off, to be honest. Well... Several of those things are now no more. So maybe we'll see a resurgence of sorts. Hey. It's a fun promotion, but... Like I said, is it one of those things where it's suddenly in the cold light of someone else's perspective? It's kind of like when you play a song that you love to someone else. And then you just, whilst you're listening to the song with that other person, you're suddenly thinking, this intro's a lot longer than I remember <laughs> ever being. I could have sworn this, this chorus banged more before... No, <laughs> and then the other person goes at the end. Yeah, it was good. No, no, I liked it. Yeah, I yeah. did like it. No, it's more being a Leicester citizen. I, I, I'd like there to be more variety than just this because this, this is a little bit of art house wrestling, and I think if it's all that, you, you need a bit of variety. And there is a comedy act on the show. I think they're na- they are the new tag team champions. They're the only other tag team of note that I could think of on the show. When I watched the video of the BDSM, I assumed they were a comedy act too. Yeah, I'd, I'd like there to be more variety in the Leicester area, but it is what it is, you know what I mean? Well, if I ever find K-Star wrestling shows from the Sutton Coldfield Town Hall in 2000 or 2001, you better believe we're bringing that up for another match of the week in the near future. Yay! I'll make you sit through Carl Corporate versus Kelt Kennedy for the K-Star Championship. That is a lot of Ks. A belt that was so rinky-dink, the centre plate literally fell off. <laughs> Yeah, probably too many. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I love things like that sometimes. Me and the guys 
I went to... Well, we didn't all go, but we all went to the same school and we just sort of... You know when you meet guys from out of school and, like, you're not friends, but you yeah. know each other? Yeah. And the, yeah. So a lot of the time you get along a lot better because there's not the people that you're kind of putting on... So that was the case with two guys that were there, Chris Brooks and Edward Woodley, Ted Woodley, who, after we saw that show, he went and started training at the K-Star Wrestling Academy. I never got to see him wrestle, but he did have a great wrestler name, because we all knew him as Ted, Ted Woodley. Uh, his wrestling name was Ted Tosterone. Hey! If I ever find a video of him, then we'll do that for a oh, match absolutely. of the week. But anyway... But we're not going to do a match of the week for the next couple of weeks, Simon. What are we going to do? So our next episode will be a Let Me Tell You Something episode. Just going back to our original flavour. Full fat original recipe. Woo! Does Coca-Cola actually have fat in it? No. Do drinks have fat in them? Not really. It's... So when we're saying full fat, we are just accepting the fact that I know this will make me fat. It, it, it's impl- it's the sugar, obviously that that we're... we it's mean good. sugar. Yeah, we mean yeah. full sugar, but full obviously full fat's the alliteration, isn't it? But we're describing it for the consequences of what we're about to drink. Exactly, exactly. But our our actual show, our full fat Coke, if you will, will ironically, given the guy with a Pepsi tattoo. <laughs> will be what does cm punk represent in wrestling what does he mean in wrestling in 2023 and oh boy is this a contentious issue (laughs) (laughs) strap on your tin hats (laughs) it's gonna be a interesting one so if people want to get in touch with me they can do so on twitter where i'm sending a simon cross free free for the multiples of free in which clementine was powerbombed if people want to get in touch with my co-host Lorcan, they can do so at... Well, yeah, they can get in touch with me via Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd by my name. That's Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A as the A in Aylston, N for the N in New Park. That's my Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put in at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. They can get in touch with the show using our Twitter, LMTYSPod. LMTYSPod is also our Facebook handle and LMTYSPod at gmail.com is our email address. And of course, you can find us on Patreon and chuck us a few pennies this way so the next time I go down to the local wrestling I can technically call it a business expense. But there's nothing left for us to say except that my name is Simon Cross and my name is Lorcan Mullen. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a great week. Until the next week. (laughs) 